Hello, hello, and welcome to Table Talk. This is a special questions and opinions edition, spring 2020. I'm going to try to do these seasonally. So this is the spring edition of the Table Talk questions and opinions. So thank you so much to everyone who sent in a question. I had a lot to work with, and uh, you made me work for it, which is which is nice. So I do appreciate that. I also want to thank all the paid subscribers and uh, members over at Patreon for helping me do this work. As always, got to throw out a thanks to you. And um, yeah, there were some questions I will say that I didn't feel like I could answer as well as they deserved to be answered. So if I missed your question, I'm sorry. I just didn't want to kind of phone something in and, um, you know, I, I, and really a lot of, I mean, the questions were all really good. So I, I want to thank you also for your decency because sometimes, you know, Q and O's get a little bit out of control and that didn't happen. So thank you. Um, I'm going to jump into it here. So the first question is this, and I'm not going to say names on here. So hopefully if you ask the question, you know who you are. So, Okay. First one is, I know God is with us through our suffering, but really, the scale of COVID-19? Where are you, God? Has this world you lovingly created fallen so far that this is a sign of sorts? But the ones that suffer most are the vulnerable ones, not the cream at the top. Okay, uh, thank you for that question. Um, and I want to point at least in my experience, what's really helped me with that question, because I have the same one, is there is an older biblical scholar, his name is N.T. Wright, so the initials N.T. Wright, and he's quite prolific. I can't say I agree with everything he's put out there, but he's pretty good, and he's writing a book right now called God and the Pandemic, God and the Pandemic, a Christian reflection on the coronavirus and its aftermath. And I have pre-ordered that, but he has released an ebook to some people. Uh, I follow some blogs, some pastors and stuff who I guess have had early access to the book and they've shared some blurbs. So this is from uh, Glenn Packiam, the pastor and author who wrote an incredible book. Uh, I think it's like Blessed, Broken, and Given. Let me see what's the name of the book. Um, Pacium um, book. Hold on. I should have looked this up before. See, I did these on the fly. Okay, yes. Glenn Pacium wrote a book called Blessed, Broken, Given, which I highly recommend. But he's the one who shared this little blurb review of N.T. Wright's new book on the coronavirus. So I'm going to kind of pull from that here to answer that question. And uh, Pacquiam writes, um, you know, the question is like, what is God saying in this pandemic? And Pacquiam says, the meat of this book is packed well in the next two chapters, the one on Jesus and the Gospels and the rest of the New, New Testament. I won't get a, give away all the glory. You should get the book, blah, blah, blah. Wright argues emphatically that any attempt to interpret what God is saying in a crisis that doesn't look first at the greatest sign and speech God has given, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, will result in wrong ideas about the kingdom of God and power. 
Jesus is what God is saying. And he quotes from page 21 in the new book. For Jesus' first followers then, his death and resurrection were now the single ultimate sign. Prophets like Amos had been forerunners. God has now spoken through the Son once and for all. For us to try to read God's secret code off the pages of the newspapers may look clever. We may even get a reputation for spiritual insight. But actually, we are doing it because we have forgotten where the true key to understanding is now to be found. Uh, trying to jump from an earthquake, a tsunami, a pandemic, or anything else to a conclusion about what God is saying here without going through the gospel story is to make the basic theological mistake of trying to deduce something about God while going behind Jesus' back. So there you go. I think that's a great answer, you know. I mean, it's so easy to think of God as this old man in the clouds who is supposed to just make things better and fix things and make it so that we don't have suffering. But that's that's never been the case, you know, and I have to remind myself that so often, especially nowadays. Um, pandemics have been sweeping around the world for the longest time, and it always hits the marginalized the worst. This is nothing new, you know. Um, not saying it's right. I'm just saying that this is the way that mass suffering has always gone, you know? So, yeah, the most vulnerable ones, we call them the most vulnerable because they are the ones who get hurt the most in these things. And, and um, I think Jesus is God's revelation in, in that God comes down to the suffering. God is in that suffering just as much as God is in the not suffering parts of life, God is also deeply, deeply in the suffering. And it isn't through saving us from death and from suffering that God does God's work. That's not, God doesn't save us from that. God does God's work through death and resurrection. And whether it's after life or before our physical bodies croak, you know, I think we do there is a way to experience death, multiple deaths and multiple resurrections before our physical body actually dies. Um, and this pandemic is just a mass death. I think a lot of us, even who survived this coronavirus, we're all dying for one. But, you know, we're, we are experiencing a mass cultural, societal, political death right now. And I, I, I know that God works through through death and resurrection. And that's, that's what I cling to. That's the hope I cling to in this. So that's what I'll say. Thank you so much for the wonderful, honest question. Okay. Uh, next one. So much of the new Testament, I believe is symbolic or symbolistic. They wrote and can be interpreted so that it is relevant to what is going on in our daily lives, even in 2020. But some of it I truly struggle with. I grew up and brought my children into the Lutheran church, but presently go back and forth between you, thank you, and Swedenborgian Christianity, both of which I respect greatly. Is it okay to wobble a little with different internal beliefs about what it's like in the afterlife and what our purpose here on earth is? Great question. And again, thank you for, you know, enjoying the my work. Um, and I would love to learn more about Swedenborgian Christianity. Swedenborg just sounds 
super intriguing to me and is one of the thinkers on my life bucket list to dig into, which I have not really done. But your question centers around the afterlife and purpose here on earth and kind of like, is it okay to wobble with different internal beliefs about those things? And I mean, emphatically, I would say yes. I mean, not only is it okay, I think it's perfectly normal and human to do so. And I think that if you don't do that, I'm not sure what you're doing. Like if you, you know, if you have kind of one way of believing and seeing life, death and the afterlife, whatever that means to you, if you have like one way of seeing that your whole entire life, I think that, that, uh, man, I don't know. I'm not sure for one, if that's even truthful, I don't think that's possible, but maybe it is. And if it is possible, I think it's, it's pretty much a, it's an anomaly. So that's a short answer for me. I wish I could really expand on it, but my answer is absolutely. Um, to wobble is to be human. But I, I would also say that it's it that to know that you're anchored in Christ you know, if if you do consider yourself a Christian and um that's where you find the greatest solace, then I would say that, you know, being anchored in Christ is is, is important as you wobble, you know? Kind of just stay anchored in that. I wobble a lot too, you know, I, I, I really find one way of looking at things. I'm like, this is it. This is the way. And then, you know, a week later, I'm, I'm kind of like, uh, that was great. But I found this other thing over here. That's really awesome. So yeah, I'm, I'm all over the place too. I wobble a lot too. I, but I think having that, you know, for me, I would say having that theology of the cross, at the uh, center of my theology is important. So, and if you want to know more about that, about the theology of the cross, I would highly, highly, highly recommend, especially if you're familiar with, with Lutheran theology, I would, I'm looking it up here because I don't want to get the, the name wrong. What's his name? Um, hold on. Hold on, I'm looking it up because I have a really bad memory. For one, there's, okay, the author is Gerhard O. Ford. Gerhard is the first name, G-E-R-H-A-R-D, and I'll link to these in the notes. Uh, o is the middle initial, and then Ford, Fordy, I think they, they pronounce it Fordy, F-O-R-D-E, but that is, uh, the books are on being a the- theologian of the cross, um, and that's based on Luther's, Martin Luther's Heidelberg Disputation. Uh, amazing book, but the one I, I mean, the one I actually enjoyed as as a as a more cohesive read is his other book called Where God Meets Man. Luther's down to earth approach to the gospel. It's amazing and it's a pretty short read. I would highly recommend that. Just as something to keep you kind of centered, I would recommend those two books. Keep you like okay, wobbling is fine, but you know what? These are just really really good things to hold at the center of it all. So, okay, that's that. Yeah, that's what I would say. Okay. What I say, okay, I'm not sure why. Um, okay. Hopefully that, that does your amazing question justice. Moving on to the next one. How do you reconcile the judgmental God of the old Testament with the loving God of the new Testament? Oh, this is the timeless question. 
And yeah, I have wondered the same thing and I've looked into it, done some research, and here is what I have come up with, which may not be insufficient for you, but hopefully it's something. Okay, so there's kind of a couple ways, a couple extreme ways of seeing this, right? Um, there was a guy, his name is Marcion, I think I'm pronouncing that right, M-A-R-C-I-O-N, of Sinope. And that might be Sinope, I'm not sure, but I'm going to say Marcion of Sinope. Uh, you can Google that man. He was a f- early first century interpreter of the scriptures. And basically what he said was that the God that's active in Jesus was a totally different God entirely than the God active in the Hebrew Bible. So, you know, he's like the old Hebrew Bible God, which he saw as focused on like wrath and judgment and just a lot of bad human qualities was focused in the Hebrew Bible and the God in Jesus of love and mercy and forgiveness was a totally different God. So that we need, so his view was we needed to just toss out the Hebrew Bible entirely. Now, of course, thanks be to God, this was rejected. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of one way. And I think even if you don't know about that, even if you don't know about Marcionism or, um, you know, even if you're not a big Christian, or like a practicing Christian, which a lot of people nowadays are not, um, you know, you still, I think we still have these remnants of this God, this wrathful, angry man in the sky, and we want to throw that man out. And, um, yeah, I, I've been there. I, I'm still there. So, so there's that, you know, and, and if you were to look at the, the Christians, you know, Catholics kind of swerve to that side of the road, to the, uh, the Marcion side of the road, not entirely, of course, uh, but they veer to that side. The reverse of this is the fundamentalist approach. And that is where God is the same at the beginning, middle, and the end. God is the same exact. God is the same thing uh, throughout the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. All the way through, God is the same. So like this, this yeah, I, it just doesn't work. Whether you, whether you lean to the, like, the angry, wrathful God or the loving God, to say that that God is the, the same thing the entire way through requires very complex mental, spiritual, theological gymnastics to make that work. But that's what a lot of seminaries are based on, is making that work. It's kind of like a science, really, to make that that work. And so, and you know, that's where Protestants swerve, to that side of the road, you know. And I see a third way. Kind of what I'm learning is kind of a third way in various degrees. But what neither one of those sides sees is that the New Testament serves as an interpretive key that unlocks the Hebrew scriptures. So the New Testament allows us to see how, you know, like slowly and inexorably the one true God who is always making God's self known in and through the texts of the Hebrew scriptures was always coming into the world. And we see like in that third, this third approach, 
that in Jesus, God makes God makes God's way all the way down to earth in suffering human form. Um, you know, not to make us better by using our toxic anger and nastiness and domination against us, but rather to die to it and to be risen anew, to allow the old way to die and a new one to, to be put in its place. That's how I see, how, that's how what I'm resonate, resonating with is that approach as, you know, God is always making God's way into the human experience. And God does that. The crescendo of that is on the cross. And what God does with that is revealed in the resurrection. So that's how I like to see it. I, you know, I, I'd like, again, I'm, I'm a, I am a beginner, I would say, and I'm learning more. And I, I hope to have way more to say on this down the road. But um, yeah, I'm really seeing and, and really intrigued by how the old, the Hebrew Bible is, is not this crazy, wrathful God the entire way through. Yes, there are parts of it that show that. But, you know, in the New Testament, Jesus isn't, isn't like a total hippy-dippy, you know, Mr. Nice Guy either. You know, so we have law and gospel throughout the whole Bible, throughout, the, throughout all the scriptures, throughout all of life. Law and gospel is this dynamic that exists everywhere. It's really inescapable. But Jesus' Jesus's death and resurrection is really, the resurrection particularly is what is shown as gospel, as grace. And so that's what we cling to. That's what I cling to. And I hope it adds a little bit of, you know, a little bit of uh, nuance maybe to, to that, that polarity, that old and new, kind of like that, you know, Old Testament being the angry God and the New Testament being just a loving, um, very soft God. It's not quite the case, but yeah, I think God, it's just, I love, I love the account of God making God's way into human, coming down to earth. And that's again, Gerhard 40, uh, his book where God meets man goes way deeper into that concept. So I'm going to point you there and I go to the next question. Thank you so much. That was fun. Thanks so much for asking that one. Okay. The next one is, I know you're a big fan of the revised common lectionary. I never knew about it, but I think it's a great tool. Is that what you use for daily readings? Do you have any specific practices and routines you engage in daily in your walk with God? I'm always interested to hear the rhythms people build in, into their lives. Excellent question. Okay, so I'll take you back here a few years before I knew anything about the Revised Common Lectionary when I was, I was more of a secular, spiritual kind of person. And that's what I blogged about every day. And um, I had a blog on Medium called Higher Thoughts, which was the top blog on the site for a long time, at least the single author blog, spirituality blog for, uh, for a long time. And I, you know, I was like, gosh, I wish I had like a framework. You know, I wish I, did, I didn't just have to come to the screen every day and like think of something completely new. And even when I got into into the uh, like ministry in that world and center for spiritual living, it, you know, it was just kind of like a, 
there were we had like a church and we had the sermons and they're more like kind of more spiritual kind of motivational talks and they were great um but the thing is that you could do whatever you wanted to you could talk about whatever you wanted to talk about and in one sense i thought that was great but in another sense i was like eh, that's kind of like terrifying i like to have some boundaries around creativity i think creativity does well when there's boundaries around it and so when i was brought back to the liturgical faith after a couple different um uh things which I'll, i actually that's the question i will go to next which is on my conversion so we'll go into that here um but when i did that i i found that people were preaching from this book. It wasn't the Bible, but it was a it was a book that had a weekly kind of a calendar, like a seasonal calendar. So it has, you know, it, let me pull it up here just so I don't mess it up because I, I I'm really good at that. But you know, the the liturgical year is divided as like Advent starts with Advent in December, and then it goes into Christmas, and then it goes into epiphany and that you know so we got advent which is waiting for the incarnation and then christmas which starts on christmas eve which is the incarnation and then epiphany um which i'm trying to define better which i don't want to go into right now uh lent kind of leading up to which is like jesus is kind of like in the desert and you know um, all that, which also has a church meaning, which I won't go into. But anyway, there's these different seasons. So Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Holy Week, leading up to Easter. Easter is a separate, that's 50 days, which we're in right now. And then the season after Pentecost, which is kind of like the summer. And every year is divided up in these seasons, which really reflect, at least in north the Northern Hemisphere, kind of like the seasons we see outside, which is, I love that, how it ties into that incarnational, that into ecology and into nature and into our environment, how the, the, that, that ties scripture, the Bible, and our environment, our world, physical, material world together. I love that. And then you have every week you have uh, like four main readings. You have your, um, your Hebrew Bible reading. You have, usually there's two of those. Hebrew Bible, you have a couple of those. And then you have a psalm or two. And then you have a letter, uh, like an uh, epistle, and usually it's from Paul. You know, you got Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, whatever. And then the main gospel, New Testament text. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And they follow these seasons. And so I just love having that framework to where, okay, there's something already in place, something that the, the that something bigger, way bigger than just my imagination, my ego or, you know, whatever I want to do with God's word, this is already in place. And it's not just me. It's a whole community of Christians who are preaching on this and gathering around this. And it's kind of like this greater rhythm, this greater life rhythm that a lot of Christians are following and living into. And you're preaching on that. And I just, I just, I get like giddy about it because it's like, being swept up into this story that, that that ties into the physical world and our individual worlds and like our communal church worlds and everything, you know? So 
absolutely a giant fan of the revised common lectionary. Um, can't recommend it enough. And I, I'm just starting, like I'm just breaking it, but it's so cool. Like to open every, every, when I do the podcast every week, like, okay, what do we have now? You know? And sometimes I'm like, I have no idea what this is trying to say. And it just makes me kind of like research a little bit, you know, and look into the context of the text and listen to what other pastors and preachers are saying about it. And I don't know, it just kind of like gives me something to work with. It kind of gives me that seed to kind of work with and that framework, which is amazing. And I love that. So um, I would highly recommend that, you know, and if you just Google revise common lectionary, it'll take you to the uh, Vanderbilt Divinity Library version. That's usually the first one that pops up. And it's really good. That's what I use. It's what the Lutheran ELCA church, which is my church. That's what we use. And a lot of different um, liturgical traditions use it. So, yeah, that's awesome. Um, and then to kind of take your question further, they do have daily, we do have daily readings for that too. So if you go to that website, that Vanderbilt website, and let's see, there's a way to get like a calendar, like a daily lectionary and sync it with your, like your Google calendar, for example. Yeah, if you just go to the homepage, I think it's like lectionary.library.vanderbilt.edu. Go to the bottom, you'll see where it says calendars. If you click on that, you just kind of follow the prompts and you can sync up your calendar with, with this. And that will give you, yeah, every day. You just go to your calendar and you'll see the daily readings like today. If I click on it, it takes me to the uh, Bible Gateway, which is another great site uh, link. And for example, like today we have, um, yeah, Psalm 93, uh, Deuteronomy 31, 1 through 13, John 16, you know, um, verses 16 through 24. Those are the three for today. So yeah, that's, that's a great way to pray through the Bible, you know, and it's short, usually summer longer, especially like in Holy Week or Lent. Um, but yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, and for me, for my, my personal practice around this, uh, what that looks like for now is I kind of go every other day. So one day I'll do 15 or 20 minutes of more contemplative scripture reading. And I'm just kind of like reading my way through the Bible, starting with the gospels. I think I did Mark first cause it was the shortest one. I did that during Advent cause I think there's like 24 books or 24 chapters in Mark. I think I'm, I could be wrong. Um, and I did that through ad daily reading one chapter a day through Advent. And then I went to, uh, Luke and now I'm on Matthew. I kind of took a break. Now I'm on Matthew and I'm going to John next. And then I think I'll go to like Paul's epistles after that. Um, but I do, yeah, 15, 20 minutes, of slow kind of contemplative reading from the Bible. That'll be the morning routine. And then the next day I'll do 20, 15 to 20 minutes, usually 15 of contemplative prayer, centering prayer is what I do. And um, yeah, throw that in the Google search to learn more about that. I've done a workshop um, online. You can grab that for a dollar, I think, or more. If you want to pay more, you can. But I have a centering prayer online 
class. If you go to my site, you can find it. Uh, yeah, so that's that's that. Okay, finally, one more question. Um, this is a question about my conversion. They wanted to know like what what happened. So I've had some readers who have been following me for a long time since I've been blogging daily-ish like five years ago. And they, they've seen a tremendous change in me, in my theology, in my spiritual life from very kind of like, I don't know if I want to call it secular. I'll say secular just because like it was more spirituality, more just like kind of like positive spiritual living, you know, and I didn't really talk about the Bible much or scripture much or Jesus much. Um, so I, I, Kind of was Christian-y, Christian-ish. I kind of used Jesus for whatever I wanted to, and um, which was fine. I don't. I hope I didn't like misuse Jesus, but that's where I was for a long time. And then I kind of had this crazy existential crisis, where I changed into where I am now, and I'm kind of on track to be a ordained um, pastor in the Lutheran Church. And that's a big swing, you know, that's a big swing to go from like, you know, like Deepak Chopra-ish kind of Oprah gospel stuff to more orthodox-ish Christian theology. So they wanted to know like what, what was the conversion experience about? Because I, I mentioned it in my, my blogs, my conversion experience, which I did have have one. And what's funny about conversion experiences is you usually don't, know you're having them at the time. It's usually think some, something you look back at and you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's when it really happened. You know, like in the, in the moment, you know something is happening, but you don't know that that's it. And so I'll take you back to a few years ago. And, you know, I was blogging daily and really the blog was going well. And um, I was on track to be a minister in Center for Spiritual Living. You can Google that to find out what that is. And I was, you know, a, a good friend of mine was starting a spiritual center in Chicago. And my wife and I had lived here before and we we always wanted to move back. We were living in rural Nevada at the time. And so, you know, I got this great opportunity to come back to the city and do this, you know, to be an assistant minister in, in Center for Spiritual Living. And... um it was a great opportunity. We did it and we jumped at it. I jumped at it, came out here and did it. And as I was doing this, I had just found people like Richard Rohr and Thomas Merton and kind of more, you know, Cynthia Bourgeau and kind of more, more contemplative Christians that, that really met me where I was in that spiritual but not religious space. You know, they, they spoke my language, but they also threw in the Christian theology, which I thought was really strong. And, and it's something I've, I'd always wanted to like, gosh, I wish I knew more about the Bible and theology. And so they, they fed that part of me and I was just really intrigued with Christianity. And so, you know, I came back and I did the CSL stuff and I enjoyed it and followed that path. And it was hard. It was a, it was a startup church and, you know, all the complications with that, you know, and just being really pulled in this more Christian direction. But it was, got to a point where it was kind of conflicting with the stuff I was doing or the stuff I had been focused on in the spiritual but not religious space, you know, um, mainly like the law of attraction 
And if you think about like The Secret, like the movie The Secret, you know, which is a big hit back in the, back back in the day. I forget what year it was. It was a while ago. Just Google The Secret if you don't know what it is or the law of attraction. But basically, you know, it's this whole idea that we can attract wealth by our good thinking. We can just attract um, wealth. We can attract money in our bank account. And I grew up poor. I grew up, you know, we were on welfare and, um, you know, poor, I guess, in American standards. So I always wanted to be rich when I grew up. And I think I got to a point where I saw spirituality is a way to do that. Hey, what a great way to do that, to just think about it and just have it happen. Well, I mean, this goes into a longer story about my dad and he kind of fell into this too. And he just like didn't do the right, you know, I feel like he didn't do the right things in life as far as like actually taking action and getting getting a job and like taking care of himself. He tried to attract wealth to him and, and, that's a long story, and I don't think I have time to get into that right now. Maybe maybe another time. Um, but basically, I just saw it as like something I wanted to let go of, something I didn't want. I wanted to move on from that because it wasn't panning out the way I, I saw it panning out, for one. Like, I wasn't this extremely wealthy person. And so, for one, it failed me there. But in another way... It's like, would that even serve me? You know, I don't even, I started to not even see that as like something I wanted. And I started to see that most of the gifts in my life were from things I didn't even expect, things that I didn't have any role in. They were total gifts, total absolute gifts. Um, I think about my wife, you know, like, I did not deserve to marry her. <laughs> I didn't deserve to like be able to date her for as you know for two years long distance and and get married and move to Chicago and and, and then later have a child. You know, like that. I don't know. Like none of that went the way I, I ideally wanted it to go. Like if I were to do the law of attraction thing and try to attract what that looked like, it would look like okay, Jonas, get really rich so you're financially secure. And then, you know, then that's when you get married and then you can provide everything and you can have this, you know, you can be the provider and, you know, you can just kind of chill out your whole life, your wife and and your life will be just this big vacation where you're attracting wealth because you've got the law of attraction and then you're just on vacation the rest of the time. Um, And your kid never has to worry and your kid is always safe and your kid is never going to have a bad day and that's the ego ideal that I has that I was trying to create and it, for one it didn't work and f- number 2 thank god <laughs> and and so anyway I got to point where I'm like you know what that part of the C- and that's not everything I don't want to say that that is everything about CSL CSL and that whole you know that whole world of thinking is way bigger than that that's just the part that I and I saw a lot of other people focusing on so much. And I'm like, this isn't it. You know, and I f- was pulled towards Christianity, more contemplative Christianity. So I stepped away from ministry and, and CSL. I'm like, I just don't want, I, I can't wholeheartedly sign on to this anymore. So I stepped away and I was done. I was kind of like, I'm just done. I'm just going to blog and write. And that's, that's good, you know? And 
backstory here again is that my wife and I were both raised in the Roman Catholic Church. We, I grew up Catholic. She grew up Catholic, both baptized Catholic, and we were married in the Catholic Church. Um, a couple of years after we got married, um, maybe a year uh, or so, you know, I was already in more of a spiritual but not religious space when we got married, but my, but my wife was definitely more hardcore Catholic. And then she got to this point where she kind of started to question the faith. And I'm like, yeah, I've already kind of been questioning this faith for a long time. So we stepped away. And so, yeah, we hadn't been back to a Catholic, a Roman Catholic mass for, I mean, maybe sporadically when we visited family and stuff. But even they don't really go to church much. We haven't really been back to a mass in a long time. And one day, this is after I left, you know, we moved back to Chicago and I left the ministry in CSL. And we live right across the street from a beautiful, big Roman Catholic church. And so we went to a mass and it went from, it was like this in CSL. When I went to church, it was like going to a Ted talk or like a, like a, um, Tony Robbins event. Like I felt just jazzed afterward. I pumped afterwards. Okay. So there's that. Now I'm stepping out of that, stepping into this mass, you know, so choir, um, organ or piano, um, incense, silence, kneeling, bowing, candles, quietude, you know what I mean? And totally different. Part of me was like, ah, like this is kind of boring, but that there was a deeper voice that, that's, that was like, or something like a deeper, like a thirst that was so dried up inside of me that was like, ah, you know, like I just felt my shoulders relax and like, I could just, it was like expansive being in that liturgical space, that mass being in that space saying the words that people have been saying for thousands of years, whether I believed every single line or not at the time. And still that's beyond me. Like it's not up to me. This, this is not me here driving the show. It was just being swept up into something way bigger than, than me. And it was like being at the base of a mountain, you know, it was like feeling small again. I felt small again and it felt absolutely amazing. You know, so at CSL, I would walk out of there feeling large and huge and like, I'm just going to manifest this amazing life. And I think well intentions, you know, like there's nothing wrong with wanting to live a good life, but like, that's how I, that's the energy. And then in the liturgy, it was like, oh, I'm not, it's not up to me to create my life. Obviously, if you look at my life, I did not, you know, I, my Jonas ego had very little to do with this. Something way bigger than me is at play here. And now I'm recognizing that and I am, it's like the divine order had just locked into place. I am not the creator of my life. I am the created, not the creator, the created, not the creator. I just like sat there in that space. Like this is home. like the ancient liturgy is home. Um, but it was the Roman Catholic church. And like, I just, we couldn't quite get on board with that. You know, I, for me, it's hard 
especially when they don't ordain women. That's the big deal for me. LGBTQ thing is another thing. You know, and so and just the child thing that, that they're dealing with, I don't know. I just couldn't, and my wife couldn't recon, reconcile being part of that that uh, that space. So that's when I found the Lutheran Church and had no idea that the Lutheran Church was what it was, had no idea that it was like Catholic Church, but with like they ordained women and everyone, LGBTQ included, um, but much more expansive space. But they held this, at least the church that I went to, I can't speak for every single Lutheran church, it's so varied, but my little church that I went to here in Chicago was Catholic, small c, liturgy. I'm talking like robes and smells and bells and candles and organ and choir and stained glass and so good and uh and amazing preaching and centered in the bible and christianity and an amazing expansive view of what jesus was doing and what jesus's testament is so that's the conversion the conversion happened in in the the roman catholic church when i sat there in the pew and i'm like like i was sitting at the base of a mountain uh that's when things shifted and I could not go back. So yeah, I I hope that answers the question. If anybody's wondering like what happened, you know, I've been following your work for a long time and maybe you've can't, maybe you've come back to my blog or whatever. And for one, the name has changed and uh, what I write about has changed a lot. And maybe that gives you some background as to why that is the case. So thanks for asking the question Thanks for asking all these questions. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad I could do this. Hopefully it helped in whatever way it helps. And if not, you know, whatever. It gave you something to do, I guess. So, okay. I look forward to um, to the next post and the next podcast. Hopefully you're enjoying the Sunday lectionary podcast. Love to hear your thoughts about it. So, you know, when you get those, if you're a subscriber, um, even a free subscriber, of course, um, you will, you will, um, have an opportunity to, to comment and, and give me some feedback. <clears throat> I appreciate that. And I'm going to leave it at that. So thank you so much. Have a great rest of this Eastertide day. Hopefully this finds you, um, healthy and well and, um, blessings to you and yours. All right. Grace and Godspeed.